So last week we looked at catastrophe. And uh, when you deal with catastrophe, that, that quickly leads to the subject of loss and the kind of losses that are sustained um, just kind of going through life this long. Uh, Zach just let us in, spoke of that. And so this morning we're looking at uh, when loss hits the fan, all right? The song Tears in Heaven, as Zach mentioned, was written by Eric Clapton after the death of his four-and-a-half-year-old son, Connor. And one of the fun things that Zach's been doing, he's been reading some of the uh, sites where it talks about what happened and the incident and the, the kind of thing. And uh, there was an interview in 2005 uh, with the uh, magazine Mojo, and Clapton said that Connor's death threw me into a wobble. Anybody ever been there? Thrown into a wobble? He said that in the immediate aftermath of the accident, he coped by throwing himself into the, his work, most notably by contributing a trio of new songs to the soundtrack of the 1991 movie Rush, which included this song that we did this morning, uh, Tears in Heaven, which became a Grammy-winning hit ballad inspired by the immense grief of his loss. It asked a pertinent question, Clapton later told Mojo, because I don't really know. I have a belief in a higher power, but I don't really know whether most of those old religious things say, see you over there, and you think, really? How do you know? And you can just kind of tell where Eric is in the midst of this. The song asks a question. And I'm always wondering whether we meet people again. I think what works about the song is it's a, a question. It doesn't offend anyone. It's asking for help. It works for people. It's a great way to communicate asking for help. Help, but not a cure for sadness. As Clapton explained in the 205 interview, I think it won't make sense for me, uh, to me for maybe another 10 years. You know, when you can look back and say, oh, that's, that's why I did that. Someone once pointed out to me that the time I began taking heroin really heavily coincided with the death of my grandfather. You can tell where some of his life has gone. Back then, I didn't equate the two at all. The same could be said about the death of my son in 1991 and me getting into all the weirdest relationships for the rest of the 90s before I met my present wife. I never saw a connection until recently. Uh, and if you don't know that story, Eric Clapton stole um, George Harrison's wife. Right? So there's, there's a whole, if you want to look it up, there's a whole history to this. He says, I was lost again, looking for something, probably for mothering. Now I can see, yeah, you really didn't do very well coming out of that. Although I was able to express it musically, he says. As you can tell from the above article, Clapton is searching, looking for something, and he has experienced a really profound loss. Uh, I think that would throw all of us sideways. In this interview, though, what I think is important, Clapton is asking, I think, two very pertinent questions. First question is, is there a heaven? Do we really go there? You can sense that in the song. And the second one, how does one deal with loss? In this case, the loss of a son. How do you, how do you navigate that terrain? And we're going to take a look at that this morning. Before we do, can we pray? Uh, it's just, when you touch on this topic, there are so many layers and so many layers. I, I worked really hard on this, and it just feels really inadequate. All right, just be straight up. So let's pray this morning and, and uh, give this to the Lord. Father, uh, I come to you this morning because it's um, easy to speak into other people's loss and not understand what it feels like from their side. 
And Lord, that I've uh, been in that place for years and recognize uh, now that sensitivity and carefulness is really the order of the day. And I seek you this morning. We are talking about the top of a loss. All of us have experienced loss on different levels. Um, and Lord, how to process that, how to lean into that, how to stay close to you in that is really uh, the trick of the game. And so we seek you this morning that you again would highlight, have conversation uh, with each of us as we go through this, that it's an active conversation and you can pull things out that people can take away that are helpful. And we give that to you in your name. Amen. All right. Let's uh, take a look. We'll start with John this morning. You remember this story. The story is that Jesus has come, Lazarus has died, and he's approaching the village. And um, Mary, Martha comes out first, then Mary comes out. And uh, when Mary comes out again, uh, she says, like her sister, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and it says that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus with all his heart. They were his pals. He says, when he saw her weeping, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, one of the most profound, Jesus wept. He was moved to that level. And it says, and so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But then the other side of the coin jumps up. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Easy to find fault, even in grief, right? Even in grief. The story's a famous one. Jesus, from the human perspectives, seems to have uh, procrastinated uh, in coming to the aid of his friend Lazarus. And all the ensuing discussion that goes on uh, thus takes place. For our purposes this morning, though, it raises some important questions that we want to look at. See if you recognize these questions. Does God love me? Does he play favorites? If he does, why didn't he do something about what just happened? If he if he could have prevented it, why didn't he? I mean, yeah, if it's some marginal things, fine, but this is this is my world. This has blown me up. Why didn't he uh, do anything? Uh, third question probably all of us have asked, how do I go on? Whether that's your girlfriend dumped you in high school or... Um, Marriage or loss of a child or accident of a close relative or how how do I go on? There there's not a manual written really, right? How do I navigate the the time ahead? What if I don't want to keep moving? I don't know that I can. And number four, why did God show up after the event? What good does that do? I'm glad He's comforting me. Couldn't He have done something? to prevent this in the first place, right? You ever wrestled with those questions? Those questions that a lot of us ask, the world's ask. It also sets in motion some other questions like, what good does it do to pray? You know, if this kind of stuff is going to happen anyways, does prayer really change anything? These and a host of other questions have been asked down through history. Why? Well, because as a race, experiencing loss has been part of our heritage. We've all experienced loss. Even a two-year-old knows the sting of mommy, he took my toy. Right? Loss begins at an early age. All of us in this room have experienced loss. All we'd have to do is ask the question, 
how have you experienced loss and ask you to share with each other and this room would instantly start buzzing. It wouldn't take long and it wouldn't take much to get the conversation going. Uh, there's a lot of kinds of loss. The Bible and life are, are full of examples. Let's just run through some of them quickly. Here's some types of loss. Financial loss, right? We're familiar with that. The meltdown of 2008 isn't that far removed. Many of us are still recovering, but in the process, a lot of us have lost jobs. A lot of us lost homes. Some of you are here because you were put on a pilgrimage, not of your own choice, had to relocate. And so you, you found yourself in a different land, in a different country. Many of us still have jobs, but we've lost earning income because of the downturn. Loss of benefits has been one of the things that have affected that. Many of us lost money in the stock market or our 401ks or investments. And many of us are just trying to figure out how do we make ends meet, right? So we're familiar with financial loss. Uh, many of us are familiar with relational loss. Loss of a best friend. Loss of a close neighbor. Loss of a marriage. The passing of a close buddy. A beloved aunt or uncle. The loss of our parents. Many of us are at that stage of life. Loss of a beloved teacher. The list goes on and on. It can be incredibly difficult to navigate what then becomes called the new normal. The emotional wallop of these events and the wallop that it carries often leaves us speechless and numb and hurt and floundering. Claptit called it being thrown into a wobble. And many of us can relate to that. There's sexual loss. Rape, loss of my virginity, picking up a sexual disease, lack of interest from a partner, onset of ED, singleness, abortion, health crisis, all can create a huge sense of loss in this area and in a person's life. Our culture is fixated on that right now if you listen to sports radio. Spiritual loss. Spiritual journeys, in case you haven't noticed, are not straight lines. Anybody notice that? Right. And as such, they can be huge distractions, hurdles, detours in one's pursuit of Jesus and his kingdom. False religions, false spiritual practices, false doctrine all take their toll. But by far and away, the greatest toll that's taken by, is by lack of paying attention. Drifting. Right? Not staying on course, not listening to the Holy Spirit. The losses can be minimal or horrific depending on whether someone wakes up and realizes that the drift has sent them far away from their need to be close to Christ. Some of the most agonizing times in my office over the years have been when people come to me and we start having a conversation and suddenly they realize uh, what they've lost for not having obeyed and listened to the Lord. It's utterly heart-wrenching because they can be restored but what they've lost probably can't be. And, and that's a, a painful place. Uh, loss of life. Accidents, heart attacks, murder, wrong diagnoses, drownings, freak accidents, untimely accidents, accidents that weren't accidents, suicides, natural disasters, war, violence, and the like all confront us with this serious issue of loss of life both others and ours. Um, this was just tragically brought home this week with the duck boat accident on the Aurora Bridge um, where it, the duck boat collided and, and four were killed and many dozen injured. You just kind of don't think about those kind of things happening. Young people losing their life in this manner 
is really a hard pill to swallow, right? It's just so, like, really? You know, man, that is not how I expected Thursday to start out, right? By far and away, the most difficult loss in this area is to deal with the death of innocence. The most difficult funerals I've ever had to conduct were the ones where the parents had to bury their children. And they just sit there shuddering, going, it's not supposed to be this way. Clapton's son Connor was four and a half when that happened. Loss on this level is staggering and profound, and the fabric of one's life is never really the same. Then there's eternal loss. What if I told you that right now as you sit here, someone is embezzling your bank account and your 401k? Right? We call that these days what? Identity theft, right? And uh, it's something that we're all concerned about. And uh, identity theft is where someone steals your identity. And likewise, there's another kind of identity theft going on that's far more dangerous. The Bible talks in very clear language about the issue of needing to be in a faith relationship with Jesus in order to get into heaven and avoid hell. From the Bible's perspective, this is an eternal loss if that transaction isn't made and to be carefully avoided at all costs. And yet many are allowing their identity, their spiritual identity, to be stolen away from them for short-term temporary gain and will be repaid with long-term spiritual agony. Uh, Comcast gets far more read than the Bible does, right? And so uh, people are being informed, but they're being lied to about what their true identity is, that they're actually built for a relationship with God. And in the process, there can be enormous loss in this area. Not only are there losses, but there's when we contend with the fall on this level, there's a lot of what I'd call loss inducers. Things that create loss. Let's look at at some of those together. Uh, The Bible lists several of these type of loss inducers. First one is foolishness. Uh, Proverbs 1, 32 says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fool destroys them. Another place in Proverbs says, uh, A fool sees danger and just keeps going where the wise hide themselves. Right? Uh, Foolishness. Has your foolishness ever created loss for you? Right? Have you ever just went, oh, what was I thinking? What? Right? I think we kind of know that. Second one is deception. Right? Uh, Proverbs twenty six eighteen says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, Hey, I was only joking. Just kidding. Right? We have all kinds of scams and things set up in our culture that are designed to steal from people and create enormous loss, all the kind of losses that we just talked about. Another loss inducer is wickedness. Uh, we would call this sin. But in Psalm 9, it says, The Lord has made himself known. He's executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. And then it says, Higion Selah. In other words, stop and ponder that. We don't often think of ourselves as wicked, but you know the Bible calls rebellion wicked. When we say no to the Holy Spirit, that's called wickedness. And we don't often say that. We'd say, well, we're good people. We go to church and that kind of stuff. And yet, is there wickedness among us? Yeah. And does it create loss? Oh, it does. 
Just ask yourself the question, there anybody that should be here this morning that you know doesn't go to church anymore because their wickedness took them out? You know, it's really true. Romans 3.23, one of the major axioms of Scripture, the wages or the payday of sin is death. And a lot of us have experienced that and have been turned by the Lord to move away from our wickedness. A circumstance can do this. All kinds of circumstance can create loss. In Second um, Samuel, there's a story of David when he came in dancing before the ark and uh, Michael saw him dancing. This is Saul's daughter who is his wife and uh, she was bent with how things had gone with the family stuff and she said, my, how the king has distinguished himself. Right? And just kind of mocked and ripped on him. And David said, and I'll do it more uh, in front of these people. And it says uh, she never had a child. Gee, Why? Well, they, they didn't have a relationship after that. It's, I bet you neither of them woke up that morning going, hey, this is what's going to happen today, and I'm going to step right into that. Right? Circumstances can really catch us and create loss. Another thing that can create loss, illness. Uh, some of us have experienced that. Um, Jesus walked to the guy at the sheep gate in the pool. He'd been laying there 38 years. He said, do you want to get well? What a question, right? Do you want to get well? Like, are you kidding me? I've been laying here 38 years. Do you know how long 38 years is? And for some of us who've dealt with chronic pain, chronic illness, it feels like 38 years. Uh, Illness can really grind your soul. Another one is war. Uh, There's a story in uh, the Old Testament with Adonijah, or Abijah, I mean, in 2 Chronicles where they went and they went to war and five 100,000 men were killed in one battle. A half a million. We get shook up these days when one or two people get killed in a battle. Half a million guys went down in one battle. Think about how many lives have been lost through war in the history of the world. The amount, the total is staggering, right? Then there's another loss inducer, spiritual warfare. I am amazed at the naivety of most people when it comes to this one. Because they don't even... I bring a couple in and go, hey, so what does spiritual warfare look like in your relationship? And they look at me like, huh? And I'm like, wow, we we don't take it seriously. Uh, Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's not interested in just looking at you. He's interested at devouring you. And many of us have found ourselves caught in some of his schemes and it's not pleasant when that happens. Here's another one we don't think of often. Sovereignty. Some loss is brought about by God. It's designed and intended and his purpose. Uh, Most of us know that story well. The book of Job, right? Where Satan came and said, oh yeah, well Satan... Uh, Job gets off because you treat him so well and he's your pet and he's your favorite and if you went and touched him, watch him curse you. And so the whole story of Job is how Satan is allowed to touch him. And there are arenas where God allows sovereignly those kind of situations come in our life and it's designed to get us to see him. It's designed to get us to lean in closer. 
But uh, we don't like that one very well. We don't talk about it much today because we live in a culture that says, hey, if you walk with God, everything will go well. If you walk with God, you'll be blessed. If you walk with God, you'll be rich. If you walk with God, you'll get everything that you want. You'll never have any pains and you'll never have any sufferings. And we don't like the idea. We actually get furious with the idea that God would dare to create some kind of loss in our life. How dare you? And you call yourself good? I don't think so. And then we rail, right? And yet Scripture's full of these illustrations of God's sovereign hand in loss. There's a, when we look at this topic, there's an old saying that not all circumstances were created equal, right? Familiar with that? But there's another one here that I want us to consider this morning. Not all people react equally to the same circumstances, I've seen in ministry the astounding fact of some, I've seen a tragedy and I've seen two people go through, for all practical intents and purposes, the exact same level and emotional content of a tragedy. And for one person, it kicks them away from God and one person, it pushes them towards God. And you look at it and go, wow, what's the difference? What, how did that, that work? And so this morning, I want us to look a little bit about... Um, how this would look, and this is terrible, all right? Because Zach's dog died yesterday. So I'm using this illustration, and I had this all set and went, ah! And we were there Friday. We took Zach and Ellie out for dinner, and then the next day they had to put uh, Willie down. So it's like, ah! And I know several families in our church have lost puppies, but it will be real illustration, not just theory. Uh, puppy dies. For one, person number one, it is like the loss of a family member, right? They have been the emotional context. They have been at family events. They have been in the pictures. And it's like losing a child. It is a heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching. Most of us as guys that go, oh, it's okay. It just died. But the truth is we're dying inside because it really matters. And so it's just a very difficult experience for person one to go through. Person two says, let's see. Save money on dog food. No more dog hair in the house. And we don't have to worry about boarding when vacation rolls around. Yes. Okay. They're like, my puppy, sorry. Right? That doesn't affect them at all. They're just kind of like, oh, 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 yeah, it's so bad. Sorry. You know? And, And so you have completely different emotional reactions to the same event. Now, how does that play out? What does that look like? Well, I want you to think along this in terms of a graft here. So you can see on on your uh, right-hand side, there goes low, medium, then high in terms of the intensity of the event. And then on the bottom, you have temporary, then you have recoverable, then you have significant, and then you have permanent. So let's take uh, one instant here, and uh, we have a, a cut hand, or say a cut finger. Now, most of the time, that's not a big event, right, in terms of loss. Uh, it's really temporary, and it's low. But now change the circumstance. You are the star receiver on the high school football team and you have just sliced your finger wide open and they're trying to figure out can they bandage it uh, and can you actually play in the game. That suddenly goes from, uh, if you look at the thing, it suddenly goes from temporary to significant and it suddenly goes from low to high. Right Now suddenly a cut finger is a big deal depending on the circumstance that you find yourself in. Let's take another one. 
All right, here we've got uh, a minor car accident. All right, uh, most of the time, minor car accident, bender, it, it's, it's medium, right? You're kicking yourself, doggone it, um, kind of stuff. But most of the time, it's recoverable, right? Uh, you can, yeah, you're going to ding your insurance and stuff, but, uh, you know, you can bounce, you can bounce back from it. It's one that we can kind of re- kind of relate to. Uh, let's look at another one. Okay, broken bone. That is usually um, a pretty significant event. If you snap a bone in your arm or your leg, kind of stuff. There's all kinds of things you've got to get it reset. If it doesn't, right? You've got to get a cast on that kind of stuff. Um, but then the question is, will it heal? Most of the time it heals and then it becomes very low and very temporary again. But if it doesn't heal right, uh, our daughter Mackenzie broke her arm and then we went in she found out that wire it broke, she had a cyst on her arm and so the, it wouldn't heal. And so we had to go back a couple times and it suddenly became very significant. What would that do? Now fortunately for her it turned out really well and after the second time it broke it, it healed right. But you don't think about having to go through that several times, um, you know, trying to do that kind of stuff. Let's take a, a, another one, okay? Cancer scare. You go to the doctor and they're going, hey, your numbers aren't right. right? Just freeze that second right there. Your numbers aren't right. We're going to have to run some more tests. All right, that goes from significant and high, like bing. Right? Nobody has to say anything. You are suddenly on an adrenaline hit. Now the question is, which way will it go? Because if you come back later and say, hey, we, we didn't do the test right, the numbers were off, false alarm, you don't have to be uh, worried. All right, now suddenly you've gone down to temporary and low. Or they come back and they say, we're sorry. You have three months to live. That becomes permanent, right? And it shifts to that side of the thing really quick. And now you're dealing with, I don't get out of this thing. Almost all of us have the superhero mentality. I will always escape the trauma. I will always escape the loss. Um, We're going to hear from one of our own uh, Keith Weedmeyer in a couple of weeks when you deal with pain, uh, he just lost his foot to diabetes. That's permanent, right? Now, recovery can happen in that, but he has to work with that from this point on, right? So some things, when you get health crisis, you assume they will always go away, but they don't always go away. Sometimes they become permanent. And then there's death. You suddenly have to face with my time, my run is over. Am I ready? Am, have I prepared others? Are we set? What do we do with that? It's these kind of losses that suddenly jack way up and get really high on that scale. When that happens, we're thrown into a process of grief. Process of grief, you, uh, usually loss is an event. Recovery is usually a process. Right? Loss is an event. Usually recovery is a process. A car accident happens the next five years. I process my way through that. And uh, you know the steps to this. First, you're in shock and denial. 
it's hard to believe it even happened. Then pain and guilt. If I had done something different, this wouldn't have happened or uh, that kind of thing. Can you imagine if you were the driver of that duck boat? He was leading a tour. What's the rest of his life look like at this point? Then anger and bargaining. Usually our anger is directed at God. Um, uh, very tough on couples uh, if like you lose a child because it, then you go back to uh, pain and guilt and accusation and that kind of stuff. Then we go through a process of depression and reflection and loneliness. It feels like nobody can connect to us and nobody gets it. Then there's a place where you can't really put your finger on it, but there's a shift. There's suddenly a turn. There's suddenly, you know what? I, I sort of can see light again at the end of the tunnel. I can, not out of the tunnel, but I can at least breathe. And then there's what we call reconstruction. You start putting your world back together. And, and then there's acceptance and hope uh, in the process. C.S. Lewis from his book, A Grief Observed, he's talking about the death of his wife. And it's quite a, an amazing story if you've never read it. It says, No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep on swallowing. He says that other times it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed. There's this sort of invisible blanket between me and the world. I find it hard to take in what anyone says or perhaps hard to want to take it in. It's so uninteresting, right? Have you ever been there? So uninteresting. Yet I want the others to be about me. I dread the moments when the house is empty. If only they would talk to one another and not to me. And he was trying to describe what it was like to walk through. Many describe it as a fog. Right? It's like walking through a fog. You just can't see your way through. What makes grief so difficult to wade through is that it seems so endless and it feels like walking through emotional mud. And if this is your battle right now, I'd like to recommend our last series that was taught by Scott Hardaway, which was called Lessons from the Pit that he did back in August, which was the story of his journey of faith as he had to go through and process the death of his wife, Tanya. If you weren't here for that and you're in there, go back to that series. You can go on our website and uh, download it and uh, track through. God longs to comfort us in the midst of our suffering and affliction, in the midst of our losses. His heart is for the broken and the afflicted. How do I know that? In 2 Corinthians, one of the greatest passages on the heart of God, God actually takes on this name. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And the hallmark of that passage is that God understands grief and loss. God understands pain that way. He understands what it's like to walk through a fog because he understands what it was like to lose a son. God can identify with our suffering. And it says, therefore, he longs to enter into it. I always say this, and many of you have seen this, and if you've been this, if I've done a 
a funeral for you or there's been a thing, often if I write a letter, I use this telltale statement, may God add a greater grace in the weeks or months ahead. Any of you ever heard me say that before? Right? Because I understand that although there's an event that took place, it's going to be a process. And you're going to need a grace that only God can give. A greater grace than you've ever needed before. A a grace that you don't have a capacity for, for what you're facing. Which often requires a greater surrender on our part, but a greater grace. One of our greatest sources of hope and encouragement besides prayer in times of loss is the Bible, the Word of God. Why? Because it tells us of other people who have gone through grief and loss and how God has brought them through. The Bible's full of stories of pain and loss and restoration and healing. And it's a great encouragement for us to keep going, to persevere in spite of our broken heart, to stay with it and keep, keep stepping, to keep moving towards God in spite of the suffering. If you think about it, those of you who have known the Lord for a while, the 400 level courses in Christianity all have to do with developing perseverance, steadfastness, and joy in the midst of suffering and affliction. And if you know the Lord for any length of time, He starts taking you through that. This is not a new message. The book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas ran into great tribulation and suffering, and they went through. They went around encouraging the disciples to continue in the faith. And here's what they said. They said, this was their message, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When's the last time you heard that from an American pulpit? Right? We go through tribulations to get to the kingdom. That's what Paul and Barnabas knew. That's what we walked through. The goal is developing a spirit of perseverance. Romans 15 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. In other words, what was recorded was recorded for us. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And then he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with each other in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not perfect people who got it all together and don't have any problems. That's a whole lot of people who've been through a whole lot of grief and a whole lot of loss and a whole lot of hurt, and they still hang together and they give God glory. They've learned to persevere. And if you think about it, that's a lot of what we get taught by the Holy Spirit. The ability to continue on in spite of loss and to do so with joy and encouragement brings glory to God. This does not mean we don't suffer grief or loss. It means because of the Holy Spirit and God's encouragement, we simply don't grieve like the world does. There's a future and a hope that God puts together for us. He is a God of encouragement and endurance, and He knows how to keep us going in the race of faith. How do we do this? Well, usually when you're in that spot, it's one step at a time, one prayer at a time. You just keep looking. For you who have suffered severe losses, I have no way to replace those losses. But I do know who to point you to. The God who also knows what severe loss feels like. He has great compassion for those who have suffered loss and He longs to encourage you. And so the encouragement this morning is... Regardless of where we are, draw close to Him. Lean in. Lean towards Him. 
Let Him help you carry the load. You were never designed to carry it. You make a great you, you make a lousy Jesus. Let Him be who He is. Let you be who you are. Grieve well, but walk with. Lean in. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we hear, um, it feels awkward because I don't know what situations I'm talking into. But you do. And I don't know what part would encourage, but you do. And I don't know who's experiencing what loss on what level. You do. This morning, may your compassion, may your spirit of grace, may your greater grace be towards those who are going through loss at this moment. May there be a sense of great encouragement. And Lord, uh, may you grant us a spirit of perseverance to stay with you in spite of loss. Lord, there may be future loss down the road that we have to deal with that we will need to persevere through. We ask for that great strength that only your spirit can give. And we ask this in your name. Amen.